refuge, our strength and our shield.
Today's reading is Daniel 4, 1 through 5, verses 19 through 22, and 24 through 37. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dreams or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth, with the beautiful leaves and abundant fruits providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in, in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that great tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord, the King. You will drive away the people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by, by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to lead the stump of the tree with its root means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge the heaven, that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence of my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what has been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, may you meet us now through this scripture passage and its explanation in the way that is only hinted at by the image of the best possible earthly father we can imagine calling out our names individually with the deep love of a father. Meet us in that way now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In one of his Narnian Chronicles, C.S. Lewis describes a fruit that the children have come upon in a land they've suddenly been transported to. He says, what was that fruit like? Unfortunately, no one can describe its taste. All I can say is that compared with those fruits, the freshest grapefruit you've ever eaten was dull, the juiciest orange was dry, and the most melting pear was hard and woody. And the sweetest wild strawberry was sour. And there were no seeds or stones and no wasps. If you had once eaten that fruit, all the nicest things in the world would taste like medicines after it. Um, what C.S. Lewis is pointing to, I think, is a, not just a fairy tale, but an honest truth about our world and about our own sense of satisfaction. And our own maybe faulty sense of what satisfactions are available to us in life. I wonder if any of you had ideas about the year 2020, you know, last January. And what was going to make a satisfying 2020? What was going to make a good year? Maybe even one of your best years in a long time. And of course... The year has been dominated by a global pandemic. And then a, all of a sudden in the midst of that, a global grappling with racism and injustice. And so we find ourselves in what could probably be described as one of the world's worst years. And today's message is pretty good for us then today, because today's message is tapping into the biblical thread, this kind of thread that's woven through the canvas of scripture that says something very countercultural, and it basically says our hardest years can be so good for us that they expose that we are usually just settling for very flimsy and cheap satisfaction in life. 
the beginning of the year we say, oh, this would be great if this, if, I can't imagine anything better than this, that, and the other thing happening. And God says to that, oh, your, your desires are so weak and so small. Nebuchadnezzar syndrome is what you could call it. Nebuchadnezzar was, he had it all. He had all those things that we look to at the beginning of the year and we say, that would be a good year if I had some of that. He was living the Babylonian dream. He, if he so desired, he could have breakfast in bed, hunt big game that afternoon, wine and dine his friends that evening, and sate his sexual appetite between the sheets of the harem that night. He possessed what many men would kill for. Nebuchadnezzar was a rock star, a business mogul, an international celebrity, and a playboy, all wrapped in one. And yet this bizarre thing happens to him as a dream. And then it actually happens 12 months later that he becomes animal-like in his appearance. And, and, and he starts acting like an animal. Pointing to how his life had been lived with merely earthly carnal satisfactions. You know, King Solomon tapped into this same concept when... He said in Proverbs 16, verse 25, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. That's pretty extreme. Who, who goes around saying something like this? There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Well, Solomon, and he's somebody who describes in the book of Ecclesiastes, he describes how he, and he documents his own quest for the good life. He says that uh, he sought for it in wisdom and in being, having a brain full of facts and discoveries and wonders. He sought for it in pleasure. He sought for the good life in laughter, in wine, in architecture. He goes on and on and describes all these ways he sought the good life. In gardening, in lovers, in the acquisition of servants, in animals, and precious subjects. He says, this is how he puts it, whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. And his conclusion? All was vanity and a striving after the wind. You just imagine that our lives could be described by chasing wind. I mean, how silly. You might, ima you might imagine a child and their most frivolous, fun, happy-go-lucky day, pretending to chase the wind to figure out where it comes from and where it goes. But for the rest of us, that seems like a pretty ridiculous thing to do. And that's a description of what our life is like when we pursue these things, these earthly treasures. And so... Solomon puts it, how did he put it? There is a way that seems right to man, but its end leads to death. It's like our appetites trick us into wanting poison in our bodies. And Jesus comes and says, this is very interesting. When Jesus comes, he's not described in scripture or by himself as, you know, hey, forget everything else and just remember, I am the good teacher that has the right formula to hand you to get you over the hump to get you kind of the edge in life so that you have a better year next year just follow these mantras and slogans and teachings no 
he, he's described as someone who we need. We need him. We need, he is a savior. And so what he describes himself as, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And it's basically just so ridiculous. He's saying, you need to be feasting on me in order to have the real life. And people stop following him when he says that because it's so bizarre. That's the gospel of John tells us people were like, this teaching is too hard. We're out of here. That's what Jesus is. Something so essential that he is our nourishment. Rather than all the things we're chasing after that we're trying to say, if, I, if just this, then I'll be okay. If just this, then I'll arrive. If just this, then I'll be satisfied and have a good year. But our goodness, our good outcome has nothing to do with ourselves. And so we read in Romans 5, it says, You see, just at the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One writer explains this by saying that if the gospel is about anything, it is about the God who meets us where we are, not where we ought to be. While we were still sinners. The gospel is not some self-improvement scheme devised by a God who holds back on us until he sees the improvements. Above all, Jesus wants to make sure we understand that he doesn't care a fig about our precious results. And that's true satisfaction. And unfortunately, our wayward appetites lead us into a world and create a world where there is much injustice and oppression. If you notice carefully, Nebuchadnezzar was was. Um, being accused of oppression amidst his Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. Our appetites lead towards a world with violence, with bias, with racism. Because our hearts are crowded with concerns of the bank account, our property, our achievement, our pleasure, our reputation, our physical fitness, and on and on and on. And our hearts are so crowded that there's nothing left in our hearts for those who maybe were losing while we were gaining, those who maybe were, when we were spending, it was at their expense. And many white Americans, I think, are waking up in this time, which is good, waking up to the fact that in some kind of way, their life isn't that far from being so obsessed with certain things that they don't realize till it's too late that their knee is on someone else's neck. Nebuchadnezzar syndrome connects in a very real way to our world today and the calling before us. Nebuchadnezzar syndrome, as author Chad Bird calls it, is like a spiritual eating disorder. It channels our appetites in a multitude of directions, but never toward Christ. It, reduce, it seduces us into believing that our peace, our fulfillment, our purpose are found in a life where we get what we want, where all our dreams come true, where we believe in ourselves and where even God believes in us. In other words, this syndrome bids us pursue a life in which everything revolves around us. And quite simply, friends, 
Quite simply, the Christian answer is this. Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, verse 2. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, just take a, a brief minute to consider these questions in reflection, and then I'll close in prayer. They're on the screen now. Heavenly God, we need your help. We need your love most of all. Would you intervene through your Holy Spirit that our lives might be described as being full of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.